I'm going to be continuing the series that we started in the book of Philippians, and I'm in chapter 2. I'll be at the end of the chapter today from verses 12 through 30. So the series we're doing is called Take Heart, and today's message is Live in the Power of the Poured Out Servant. By the way, last week, uh, Todd Welch from Youth Dynamics spoke, and I heard he did a great job. Is that true? Did a really good job. So if you know Todd, make sure you encourage him in that. Um, as I said, we've been going through the book of Philippians for the last four weeks, and in case you don't know anything about Philippians, maybe you're new to the Bible or you're just learning about the Scripture, Philippians is a letter written from Paul. Paul was an apostle, one of the first ones that was sent in the early church to the world to bring the good news about Jesus. And Paul went far and wide throughout the Roman Empire bringing the good news about Jesus. And as he did, he suffered much. And in that suffering, he was imprisoned a number of times. And one of the times while he was in prison, he wrote a series of letters. And one of the letters he wrote was this letter to the church in the city of Philippi. Philippi was in Asia, excuse me, in Europe, got that mixed up, in Europe, in Macedonia, in modern-day Greece. And he wrote, that was the first church in Europe, and he wrote the letter from prison to the church. And this was a church he had started. So this is about 10 to 12 years after he had started the church. And he's beginning to hear the church is having a few problems. One of the problems is there's some division in the church. People are starting to have conflict the other thing is, is they're suffering greatly. They're suffering persecution uh, under the Roman Empire. And he's writing them to say, listen, even in suffering, you can have joy, you can maintain your faith, and you can make it. But the way you do that is you stay together. You don't let the circumstances break you up. You don't let disunity come in. You don't let false teachers come in. False teachers were coming in and they were saying, look, Jesus isn't enough. The cross isn't enough. You need more than that. You need to add some things to your faith. And Paul's writing and he's saying, no, let's, let's stay on Jesus. Jesus is what it's all about. Stay in unity. There is joy in suffering. It's possible with God's help for us to rejoice. And he says, I rejoice. He's, he's jailed at this point, and he's saying, I can rejoice. God's been faithful to me. And so that's where we've been. That's what we've looked at uh, two weeks ago. We talked about the fact that Jesus is God in the flesh. He is God who is spirit, who came down into a human body, clothed himself in flesh. He went from the highest to the lowest place. He not only came to earth, not only became a servant to all of mankind and to his father, but he even died a human death beyond dying a human death. He died a death of, of torture, a death of injustice. He died on a Roman torture device called a cross. And then because he was willing to go from the highest to the lowest to redeem us, to die in our place, to take our judgment, the Father has lifted him up and given him the highest place and given him the highest name and given him the highest reputation and put him above all others that at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow and every tongue confess in heaven and on earth and under the earth that Jesus Christ is Lord. We learned that two weeks ago. And today we're going to continue, and my big idea for the day is that God is at work within us to give us power and provide us examples so we can become like Jesus. Whew, that was kind of long. Now the main thing I'm going to really look at today is that God is at work within us, and He's at work within us so that we can work out His life for the world around us to see. 
So that's what we're going to be looking at today. We're going to be in Philippians 2, verses 12 through 30. And uh, I want to get right to my first point. And here's my first point if you're taking notes. And it's kind of a funny point if you think about where I'm going later. But here's the first point. Point number one. You ready? Point number one. Okay, here we go. Work out the results of your salvation. Work out the results of your salvation. I'm going to read the text and then comment on it. Philippians 2.12 in the New Living Translation says this. Dear friends, Paul is writing. Remember, this is an apostle writing from jail. He's writing his friends. He says, dear friends, you always followed my instructions when I was with you. And now that I am away, it's even more important. Work hard to show the results of your salvation. Obeying God with deep reverence and fear. Interesting. Philippians 2.12, second part of the verse in the English Standard Version says this. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. By the way, I think it's interesting that he inserts the word own salvation because sometimes we're trying to work out other people's salvation. Have you ever noticed that? Some of us feel like we're the Holy Spirit for other people. We're like, let me work out your salvation with some fear and trembling. No, that's not what he says. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Let's talk about this for a minute. Let's talk about working out. Let's talk about working out. Let's talk about working hard as a result of our salvation. I want to ask you some questions. Have you come to faith in Jesus Christ? Does the Holy Spirit indwell you? Are you born of God? If you've answered yes to any of these questions, it's because God is alive in you to conform you to the image of Jesus. That's really important. Let me tell you why. A lot of people think salvation is about getting to heaven. Many of us have been taught in our church experience that the goal of salvation is you need to believe in Jesus so you can get saved from the fires of hell and go to heaven when you die. And many times when we hear the gospel, the good news, that's what that word means, proclaimed, that's the emphasis. God wants to save you from hell so you can go to heaven when you die. And then you begin to look in the New Testament and you don't find that message very much at all. Very rarely do the apostles ever preach anything that looked like that. And very rarely do you ever see Jesus talking about that. Salvation was more about heaven coming to us. Many preachers emphasize getting men into heaven in their preaching. Jesus emphasized getting heaven into men and women. And the idea was is that God's Spirit would change us from the inside out and make us like the Son. See, the goal of God in your life is not just to get you to heaven when you die. That's, that's a byproduct. That's a, a reward. But that's not the goal. The goal of God is that He has His Son, Jesus, and He wants to make many other sons and daughters after the pattern of His Son. That's what He's working to do in our lives, is make us like Jesus. So he says here, we have to work out our own salvation with fear and trembling. See, he wants to work in us a work so we'll manifest his character and his works. So our thinking, listen carefully, our morality, our behavior, our life focus and our life purpose will begin to change as we become more like Jesus. This life change, in many cases, will be very natural. 
In other cases, it will be intentional. It will take effort on our parts. Some things will change almost without any effort at all. I remember when I first came to the Lord, one area where it was very little effort. I I used to cuss like a sailor. Sailor? Sailor. A sailor too. A sailor. I used to cuss really bad. The F word was my descriptive word before everything else I would say. It would set up everything. And I came to Jesus, and I had a radical life-changing conversion. And, and I, well, it wasn't like somebody had to say, quit using bad language. It's that something inside of me changed, and my language changed. And Jesus delivered my tongue from cussing. Now, some people, that takes longer, right? Some, some of you, you still, you're like, Jesus, help me with my mouth, right? When you're driving down the road and that person cuts you off, you could make a sailor blush, And so you're saying, Lord, I need you to work, Holy Spirit, work on my tongue and help me in the way I speak. But in that part of my life, I didn't have to struggle. I didn't have to endeavor. I wasn't walking around like going, Lord, help me not to say that word when I shouldn't say that word. It just naturally happened. Now, there were other things. And some of you are like, tell us the juicy details. (laughs) There are other things which I will not talk to you about that have taken far longer, but nevertheless... There has been a work of the Spirit internally to help me work out my salvation with fear and trembling. See, some things change almost without any effort, like I said, and other things change over time as we work with God's help to develop the disciplines necessary to change. These things will all be the outgrowth of a healthy reverence of God. Here's the main reason we change, that we want to change. The main desire that we have to change is because we ultimately have reverence for God. We want to please Him. We, we recognize He's holy. We want to honor Him, right? Anybody else in here besides me want to do that? Come on. Some of you are looking at me like I'm talking a different language. So that is what He's calling us to do. Work out your salvation. Now, I shared in the first service, this is kind of funny, but I shared in the first service, a lot of us, we want to approach the Christian life like this. Well, you know, God doesn't, you know, He doesn't want me to work for my salvation, so, you know, I'm just going to chill, I'm just going to relax. I mean, God's with me, you know, if He wants me to change in that area of my life, I'll change in that area of my life. And, and we, we have a disconnect in our head because we wouldn't approach any other area of life like that. Like, I just want you to think about your bodies. Every person in here has muscles. Isn't that true? Some of you, yeah, they're kind of hidden, but they're here somewhere, right? We all have muscles. But muscles, in order to grow or become toned or to get healthier so they can be used better, have to be worked. We know about atrophy, right? If you don't work muscles, muscles begin to atrophy, right? And a lot of us, we're like that person that wants to sit on the sofa and watch P90X videos and kind of like, oh, yeah, look at those people sweat. And they're all moving back and forth and they're doing everything. And we like to sit on the sofa. And we think that sitting on the sofa with the remote is going to get us in shape as we eat Doritos and have another soda, right? And by the way, get me some ice cream while you're at it. But I'm watching P90X videos. And that's the way we often approach spiritual growth, what theologians call sanctification. The outworking of the inner work of God. That's the way we approach it. But you know as well as I do, you're not going to get that booty in shape, and the rest of you too, until you get off the sofa and you start moving with P90X, right? Or whatever you're doing. 
Am I talking to anybody? So look at this next point. And this is, listen, if you get nothing else out of today, take number two here and take it to the bank. Because this is really where it's at. And this is my second point. God is working within you to give you desire and power. This is my key point today. God is working within you to give you desire and power. Let's look at Philippians 2.13 in both the New Living Translation and the ESV. Look at verse 13, New Living Translation. For God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases Him. ESV. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for His good pleasure. Think about that. God is working in you, giving you. I love that. Giving you. So we see that God the giver, for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. God the giver is at work in you. So now now think of what Paul's saying. He's saying, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. That sounds like we're counting on ourselves. And then he says this, for it is God who is at work within you. I love that. So there's this partnership and the outworking is because he's inworking. This life of sanctification isn't counting on me, but I have to work out what he's working in. Does that make sense? Any work you can do to change and become like Jesus is the result and the outgrowth of God's own work within you. God is working in you, and this is called grace. Did you know that? It's called grace. Now, a lot of us, when we think of grace, and again, I don't know how many of you come from church backgrounds and you're even familiar with church language or Bible language, but let's talk about grace for a minute. Grace is that Christian idea, that Christian doctrine that God favors us in Jesus Christ apart from anything we can do, any merit, any earning, any work. And so the idea of grace, and that's the whole actual message of the new covenant. The message of the new covenant is God favored you when you deserved no favor. God loved you when you deserved rejection. God forgave you when you were an enemy. Think about that. That's one side of grace, but this is where we often miss grace. Grace is like a two-sided coin. The top part of grace, the head of grace, is the divine favor toward people who don't deserve it. Any recipients of grace in this room? We need to celebrate grace every day. And I'm telling you, if you're a person who truly celebrates grace, you will extend a lot of grace, right? But the other side of the coin is this. Grace is an active work of God's Spirit within empowering us and giving us the virtue to live holy. So it's two sides, right? It's an ability within. God is actively working within. So you are loved, you are accepted, you are forgiven, you are adopted, and you're called into the family of God. His Holy Spirit, which indwells you, has now given you, as it were, the spiritual DNA of God. You have the seed of God within you that we're we're told in Peter. So God's very nature is implanted in the life of a person who is trusted in Christ. And as you trust in Christ, this active work of God is changing you from the inside out, imparting to you the very character and nature of God. 
So you have within you the divine nature. Think about that. You bear inside of you the very image and likeness of God Himself. And that image and likeness is to work its way out of your life so that it becomes ultimately observable. And it's observable because God is actively working inside of you. Does that make sense? God is giving you everything you need to become everything He wants you to become. Now, think about what I'm about to say here. Everything else I'm going to say after this is dependent on that point. Any behavior, any character, any good work, any action you take is because God is working within you. Now, I want you to notice what it says He does. He works in you both the desire and the power to do what pleases Him. Let's talk about those words. Desire, power, pleases. This word desire means that God is giving you the want to, the will, the wish, the desire, the purpose, the willingness, the consent, and the delight to do His will. What is the text telling us? You ever been in a place in your life where you don't have the want to anymore? Hello? I have. I've had times in my walk with Jesus where I've had to say this to Him, Lord, I don't really want to do that thing you want me to do. I admit it. In fact, I want to go the other way. Sometimes God asks you to do hard stuff, right? And it's a matter of obedience. But I've told Him, I don't want to do that. And some of you are in that place right now. You know God's dealing with you about an area of your life. He's speaking to the depths of your heart. He's been dealing with you. He's been tapping on your shoulder. He's been convicting you. You've been feeling it. You've been carrying the weight of it. And He's doing that in your life because He loves you. Maybe you're engaging in something relationally or in some other way. Maybe it's an addiction pattern, but there's something in your life that is destructive. And He's been dealing with you about it. But there's a part of you that doesn't have the want to. And I've recognized in my life when I come to those points where I don't have the want to, and I don't have the will, and I don't have the wish, and I don't have the desire to obey Him, I can ask Him, right? I can say, Lord, change my want to, because the Scripture says that you'll work in me, giving me the want to. And sometimes I need God to, well, all the time, I need God to work in me to give me the want to. Because there's something we have to recognize in our life. Any desire you have towards spiritual things is a gift of God a work of God. You know, you didn't just decide one day, I- I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read the Bible and pray and seek Jesus and become a Christian. You know, God was chasing you, pursuing you, wearing you down with grace and with love, right? Just that, that pursuit of God that never lets go, never lets go, never gives up. He was after you, and He's still after you. And He's not going to give up on you. He's not going to quit in your life. And He can give you the desire and the want to to do His will. And that's big. Secondly, He gives you the power. This is the Greek word where we get energy. Energeo is the word. And it means that God will give you the inward energy, the power, the action, the function, the activity, the ability. He'll He'll give you the work to work out your salvation. He'll do that in you. And I'm looking at some of you, and I think you're skeptical. 
Because some of us in this room are dealing with some hard stuff in our life. You might have an addiction that you're battling with, maybe to a substance, maybe to a screen and what you look at on it. You might have something that plagues you over and over again, and it feels to you like you're on the losing team, and it feels to you like you can't win. Maybe you just need to know, maybe one of the steps in that process is that you need to know that right now there is something that you're able to access in your life that you never thought maybe you could access. Because a lot of Christians that I know don't live with the belief that they have the power to win over sin. Most of us believe sin is going to win. We don't believe we have that power, and it's almost like God has given you an ATM card, and He's given you an account to access, and within you, God within you is giving you the power that you need to overcome. Now, I want to say this, it might be a long, protracted battle. It might take years or decades, months, years or decades, but it's, and it could be a real battle, but I'm telling you, God is at work within you both to give you the desire and the power to do what pleases Him. We have to believe that. See, if we don't believe that, we're already defeated. If we believe this is, this is inevitable, I'm going to lose I might make it to the 15th round, but that guy's going to knock me out. If we really believe that we are going to lose, we will lose. But if we start to say, you know, God is at work within me, giving me the desire and the power to do what pleases Him. That's different. Every time I fall, I can get back up and say, okay, I got knocked down. That guy has a good left hook. I got knocked down, but I'm getting back up, and I know, God, you're back in me, and your power's with me, and greater is he who is in me than he who is in the world. And so because of that, I can get back up, and I can fight again, and eventually this dude's going down. It might be a war of attrition. It might count on endurance, but God is going to work in me and give me the endurance and the power and the energy I need in the long term to win this war. Amen. Preaching myself happy. And, and so he gives us the desire and the power to do what pleases him. God has given you the desire and the power to do what makes him happy. Really happy. The things that God delights in are being worked within you. God is actually the one who's giving you all you need to make him happy. That's a stacked, that's stacked. Think about that. I, I want you to make me happy. I want you to please me, so I'm going to actually give you everything you need to make me happy. What? That's right. right? It's like, you know, you, you, you give your kids, you give your kids the, the colors and the crayons, and you stand over them, and you hold their hand while they draw a picture for you, and then they draw this picture for you, and, you know, you, you provided everything they needed, and they made some little scratches on a paper and some stick figures, and they're like, like this, you know, and you're just like, oh! That's so delightful. That brings me some joy, so much joy. And you put it on your refrigerator and you take photos with it and you post it on social media. That's what's changed, right? <laughs> little Johnny made a cute little picture. Did it all by himself. No, he did not. He did it with all of your provision and help. Amen? You see, one of the things that will show you in your life that you're beginning to grow up as a follower of Jesus, is that you begin to live 
with the pleasure of God being foremost to you. Um, no, now, we're made for pleasure. God has given us, you know, nerve endings, smells, the ability to recognize beauty, color, texture. You know, when He made the world, He didn't just make a utilitarian world that works. He made a, a, a world that has beauty to it, right, and creativity. And we look at God, the great artist, and we're in wonder and we're in awe of what He's done. And we recognize you didn't just make it work, you made it work and you made it beautiful, right? And so God is a God of pleasure and He wants you to have pleasure and He wants you to have joy. But what He really wants us to know is that we experience our greatest pleasure when He's happy. And many times in our life we start with the pursuit of our own happiness and we don't realize that the way we're happiest is when He's happy. Right, so, so Paul is saying, look, he's going to give you power within to desire the right thing, power to do the right thing, and it's all for his pleasure. And that's living. And I, I began to recognize that I was starting to grow up in my life as a Christian a little bit, not, not much, but a little bit, when I started thinking, you know, I, the main thing I want, Father, is, is the smile of your gaze. I just want heaven happy with me, right? And He is in Jesus Christ. But you know what I mean? That, that awareness, man, I'm working with God here and He's really delighting in this. He's really taking pleasure. I love this story of the outworking of faith. It's called Soup Man and it was on Yahoo, Yahoo News in 1124.04. It says, in the summer of 2003, David Timothy bought an old van with 265,000 miles on it with the help of his wife and a friend. They dubbed it the Soup Mobile, and they started taking food to the homeless of Dallas. Timothy had wanted to open a soup kitchen for a long time, partly because he grew up poor and hungry, though never homeless. In the name of Christ, Soup Man, who calls himself a non-denominational Christian, provides over 3,000 meals every month. Volunteers, donations from some restaurants and grocery stores, and his own willingness to devote 60 to 70 hours a week to the ministry sustain his work. He does things for us that other people would not do, said one person, like bring us food, clothes, water, juice, cakes. This is a good guy, man. He's not just bringing them the necessities. He's dropping a little cake on them every once in a while. Dog food and blankets. A 36-year-old woman said that. He manages to find toys for homeless children on their birthdays. And then this one person, a homeless man, said this. He don't have to come out here, but he comes out here because he's got God in him. I want you to think about that. This is an observer. He's got God in him. You see, when God is actively at work within us, that's going to be worked out, not just in our character and our behavior and being good and not, but, but even in the way we treat humanity. God's going to do something and you're not going to be able to help yourself. You're going to find yourself loving people that you used to not be able to love. You're going to find yourself noticing that person broke down on the side of the road. You're going to find yourself not just being cynical about human nature all the time, but beginning to have hope and care, even though you know people are broken. Right? You, you, you know the world still has users. You know there's still evil. But that's okay. Love overcomes that evil. 
And there's something inside of you that will take action. And you can't help yourself. You just can't help yourself because God is working inside of you. And then he says this, and I'm probably going to, yes, I'm going to have to end on this point. He says then, so live as shining children of God. Live as shining children of God. Philippians 2, 14 and 15. Look at what this says here. New Living Translation says, and so, so remember, remember what I said earlier, God working in you is the key, grace working in you is the key to everything else. So now comes the right behavior. Verse 14, do everything without complaining and arguing so that no one can criticize you. Live clean, innocent lives as children of God, shining like bright lights in a world full of crooked and perverse people. Ouch. So let's talk about these words. Don't complain and argue. Ooh. These two words capture the idea of murmuring complaining, finding fault with life, and then becoming argumentative and difficult. These kinds of attitudes can lead to division and church fights, family fights, marriage conflicts. Paul's also concerned about the Philippians' outside witness to the world watching. When the outside world sees the church infighting, arguing, and complaining, it's a bad testimony of Jesus. When your coworkers work with you and all they hear coming out of your mouth all the time is, I hate this job, I hate my boss, this day sucks, it's hot, it's too cold. When that kind of language comes out of a child of God, there's something about it that doesn't fit. Do you follow me? Let's talk about this a little bit. I want to make something really clear before I, I get into this in a little bit more depth. We're not talking about when you go through hard times in your life and you need somebody to talk to. We're not talking about pouring your heart out to God. Go read the Psalms. David is praying in the Psalms and he's like, God, why have you forsaken me? And Lord, where's my family? And where are my friends? And my enemies are surrounding me. But then he ends with, yet will I praise you. Yet will I give you thanks. It's, it's not that bringing a complaint before God or sitting down with a trusted friend and pouring out your heart to them and talking about your difficulties is bad or sinful. It's that living habitually, living a life of constant complaining and constant arguing, it, it, it betrays who you are. I said this in the last service, and this is a challenge, but if you find you have difficulty keeping friends... If you find that you run off family members, if you find that other people in your life see something that's bitter about you, argumentative about you, if you complain, if you're negative and you don't even recognize it, but you find out that all the relationships in your life seem to go away from you and you're pointing fingers and blaming, have you ever considered that the common denominator might be you? Just saying. Here's the reality. A lot of us by our language, are atheists. Our language makes us out to be practical atheists. I look at people right here in our church, I look at Facebook posts. Every once in a while, I can see complaining about something, sure. But I look at people on Facebook, and they're like, you know, the weather sucks today, my job sucks today, I hate my boss. I mean, it's like, it's like and, and they're dropping F-bombs on Facebook, godly Christians. I, and I'm like, are you kidding me? I understand the world's hard. I understand suffering's going on, but come on, we're the people of God. 
talk it, walk it, act it, right? I mean, God is at work within you. Am, am I talking to anybody? There are some people that are just argumentative. They're looking for a fight. They just want to fight and argue all the time. I, I, listen, okay, I like a good debate. The guys on staff will tell you. Drew's told me a few times, you're scrappy, Doug. You're kind of scrappy. And I'm trying to learn to chill. Noah at one time told me that I used verbal jujitsu. That's the term he used. I'll never forget it. It's stuck in my head. Okay. So I'm trying to grow. I like a good debate. Let's get into the issues. Let's dig into them. But I'll tell you this. I don't want to be known as argumentative. I don't want to be known as a guy that's just looking for a fight. You know, I'm going to fight you, and, and I'll fight you at the drop of a hat, and I'll drop the hat. Right? And that's the way a lot of people are. And Paul's saying, look, if you're a child of God, that's not your father's nature. You have spiritual DNA inside of you. Act like your father. Speak like your father. And then he says this, so you'll shine forth clean and innocent lives in a dark world. He's trying to show that the followers of Jesus are to live as a contrast to the culture around them, right? We live clean and innocent lives, and we provide that contrast to a world full of crooked and perverse people. Listen, Paul's not talking of some kind of perfection. Throughout the the letters, he addresses sinful behavior in the church. He knows that churches are full of sinners, But he does show us what to do. Confess your sins to one another. Pray for one another that you might be healed. Hold one another accountable. Have a safe atmosphere where you can confess, yes, but also challenge each other to grow up in God, right? He he shows them that the church can be both a place where we can call each other out and we can also forgive each other and be safe in each other's company. But we don't just let it go. We're just like, well, I don't don't want that person to think I'm judging them, but that self-destructive behavior is going to ruin them and their family. Somebody needs to say, come on. Come on, I'll walk with you, I'll talk with you, I'll I'll come alongside you, I'll pray with you, but you can't do that, that's going to destroy your family, that's going to destroy you, you got to quit doing that. That's love, that's community, amen. I know I'm really exciting people here. So he's saying shine forth that life, and when you fail, admit that you fail, confess your sins, right? I mean, one of the greatest things that Christians can do culturally is if you're on your job and you blow it and you blow it in front of God and everyone, don't try to act like you didn't blow it and cover it up and hide it, but come right out and say, you know what? I sinned. I blew it. I want to tell you something. I am a Christian. Yes, it's true. You might call me a hypocrite. It's true. I blew it. I am sometimes a hypocrite. All of us are hypocrites at times, but I'm a hypocrite right now, and I did this, and I did this, and I did this, and it was wrong. Please forgive me me and don't look at me as a rep- that don't don't look at me and think that's how Jesus is cuz Jesus ain't that way but this is how God's people are God's people are flawed God's people are broken but we're trying to become like Jesus so forgive me and give me an opportunity to show you that Jesus is a God of love grace and mercy amen, amen.